coming up on Philosophy Talk. The Science of Love. Science and pseudoscience. Scorpio is the natural eighth sign associated with the planet Pluto, is of the water element, has much to do with secrets, sex, the hidden parts of the body, and with subjects many consider occult or forbidden. Astrology, numerology, economics, linguistics, creationism, string theory. What's the difference? Listen, Scorpio, your sign signifies power. It represents the ambition contained in all of us. This is about you, Scorpio. Pseudoscience is a growl word. Science is a purr word. Our guest is Stuart Vise from Connecticut College. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Our topic today, science versus pseudoscience. Science is one of humankind's most consequential, most revered achievements. To call something scientific is to praise it, to honor it. In contrast, to call something non-scientific or anti-scientific or pseudo-scientific is to disparage it. Now, because science gets the props, many pretenders want to get in on the act. Take astrology, creation science, or paranormal studies. Real science or pseudo-scientific pretenders? How do we decide? How do we separate the pretenders from the contenders? We'll take up that question in our first segment. Many people fervently believe in those so-called pseudoscientists, John, but why? What makes the human mind so susceptible to pseudoscience, superstition, and other unscientific noise? That's our second question. Then we'll close by asking whether we can or should eliminate superstition and pseudoscience from our lives. John, I'm just a little bit worried that some people might be put off by the way we're setting up this episode. Why, Ken? Because, you know, I can imagine somebody thinking that the question of separating science from pseudoscience is really just a, a political question in disguise. Well, there's a stereotype out there today that the Democrats love science because they're not in favor of teaching creationism but evolution. And the Republicans are the opposite, because they're in favor of teaching creation science. But those are stereotypes. I'm surprised that you can. No, that's not what I mean at all, John. Those are stereotypes, but that's not what I mean by political. Well, what do you mean? Well, suppose some devotee of one of these so-called pseudoscientists were to ask, who are you guys? Who are you guys to say what counts as science and what counts as pseudoscience? What gives you the right? Well, I'd say we're philosophers, Ken. It's part of our job to decide what's worthy of believing and what isn't worthy of believing. Science is worthy of belief because it's objective and rational and it depends on experiment. Pseudoscience isn't any of those things and it's not worthy of belief. But, you know, calling something scientific, maybe maybe by doing that we're just expressing our approval of it. It's what we like. And by calling something pseudoscience, maybe we're just expressing our disapproval of it. And, you know, because you and I have tenure in an elite university, our approval or disapproval matters. Uh, I hate to... First, your bubble, Ken, but I don't think our approval or disapproval matters that much. Well, I don't really mean you and me, literally. I mean the whole academic, scientific, industrial, military, governmental complex of which you and I are admittedly insignificant part. But there's more to science than being approved by the whatever you called it. The academic, scientific, industrial, military, governmental complex. 
that complex approves of certain things because they're worthy of approval, because they produce results. They're objective. The experiments are repeatable. The results are testable. Science deserves our approval, but pseudoscience deserves our disapproval. Maybe you're right, John. But maybe you're right. But despite that, you know, many people really do believe in what you're calling pseudoscience. I mean, take creation science. It's a big deal. It's advocates challenge the whole way we teach biology and evolution. They're kind of revolutionaries in a way. I don't think they'd like being told that uh, their revolution isn't worthy of being believed in. Well, I'm sure they wouldn't like that. But, you know, some people are right. Some people are wrong. They're wrong. What's worthy of asking is why? So many people persist in believing in things that make no sense or make no scientific sense, and why they fervently resist any pressure to give up those pseudo-scientific beliefs. Well, you know, that, that is an important question, John. And, you know, and to try and address that question and try to convince people to abandon their pseudo-scientific beliefs or equip them not to fall prey to them in the first place, you'd really have to dig in and try to understand how and why such beliefs manage to get such a grip on our minds. Well, you know, Ken, they're everywhere. Uh, everywhere in our lives, in unusual places where you wouldn't expect them in the political process. A roving philosophical reporter has looked into this. April Demboski files this report. While analysts and pundits fill the airwaves with their explanations and predictions for the upcoming election, another group examines political events from a different perspective. look at the planetary alignments that are forming in the sky. Spencer John is a political astrologer based in Mill Valley, California. And you particularly look at the outer five planets, which show generational influences, and you look at their alignments to see what they form, and that will tell you what's going on in society in general. John's analysis goes way beyond two-sentence newspaper horoscopes. Professional astrologers study birth charts, a complex map of where the 12 planets were in the 12 houses of the zodiac at the time of a person's birth. Everything that's born has a birth chart, so the country has a birth chart too. We're born July 4th, 1776, so our zodiac sign is Cancer. So you look at the planetary alignments within that chart, and then the people that might be important to the country, like the president or a presidential candidate, you can look at their birth charts as well to see what kind of planetary alignments are forming in their birth chart at the time of the election. John picks up a manila folder off his coffee table and pulls out the birth chart he's drawn for Hillary Clinton. Now Hillary, of course, is a Scorpio. She has her son in the fifth house, and that shows that she actually has a fair amount of uh, self-confidence and creativity at her disposal. It's also aspecting other planets in the House of Communication, Saturn, Pluto, and Mars, which say she's super, super smart. Now the problem there, though, is that these planets in the third house, Mars, Pluto, and Saturn, form a right angle to her sun, which can mean that she goes a little bit too much according to the book. Barack Obama would be much more inspirational because he's a Leo, and he has that ninth house sun, which is that preacher-messenger energy. And with his Jupiter and Saturn conjoined in the third house, you might say that he has ability to bring everyone together. 
When John looks at how the candidates' charts fare in comparison with the chart of the United States, it's a close call. But one Democrat seems a better match than the other. One other factor is that for Barack Obama, his Venus, which is his plan of relationship, is in the same place as the Venus in the chart of the United States. What that basically means is that there's a love affair going on between these two people, the United States and Barack Obama. John's interpretations of the candidates' birth charts are just interpretations. Astrology is not an exact science, though it used to be widely practiced by scientists. All the great founding fathers of astronomy did astrology. Galileo and Copernicus and Kepler and uh, Tycho Bray. Glenn Perry is a PhD in psychology and author of five books on astrology. It wasn't until later maybe by the 18th century that astrology fell out of favor and began to be looked back at as the mad mother of astronomy. That's Before then, they were very much one and the same. Today, astrology doesn't have the same scientific street cred as before, but astrologers say that to judge it within the scientific model goes against the very nature of the practice. Uh, empirical research methods for astrology are very, very problematic. It'd be like trying to test an eagle's capacity for flight by putting it in a cage and throwing it off a cliff. For Philosophy Talk, I'm April Dembaski. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.